You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Call to Care. This series explores three groups of people Jesus particularly calls us to care for. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. If you would uh, turn with me uh, to Hebrews chapter 10, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. I welcome as well those in Washington at the lake following along on, on video for this series. Um, uh, the summer of 1998 was the first time I uh, attended a church because I wanted to. Not because I felt guilty or because I was required, but like legitimately wanted to be there. And it happened to be this church 19 years ago, uh, and it was just getting started. Uh, and there was a lot of nice people that were there, uh, but there wasn't anyone that I could uh, relate to. I was a 22-year-old uh, college grad uh, surrounded by a bunch of middle-aged people, and we all know how terrible middle-aged people can be. And so with our minivans and bumper stickers of honor students, and anyway... It's hard to feel connected to a group when you don't feel like there's anyone there that represents you. Uh, In fact, you may feel that now. You may feel, hey, I'm in the middle of a group that I don't feel like represents me. You may feel that way now. I definitely felt that way then. So I stayed pretty distant uh, from the group. You know, I'd show up every once in a while, but was not uh, relationally engaged at all. But then I, 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 there was what switched it for me was one day I heard this message about this New Testament community, this early church community. You maybe heard that term thrown around. All that means is a community or a church that's patterned off the pages of the New Testament. And um, the, the specific picture of this community uh, was in Hebrews 10, which I just want to read that uh, for you. And we'll have it on the screen and, and you may have it on your Bibles as well. But Hebrews 10, 32 to 34. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened or you know you became a christian you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partnered with, with those who were so treated so talking about two different two different groups of people one group went to prison one group didn't but they were associated with the other group for you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession an abiding one. Now, uh, here's the situation. There's, a, there's this group in the early church, and some were in prison for their faith. So it wasn't, you couldn't practice being a Christian publicly the way they were. And so if you were found out, you got imprisoned. And so half this community was taken to prison. And uh, the other half had a decision to make, because those who were imprisoned for any reason in that day... Um, um, they, they depended upon friends for things like food, water, and medical attention. Uh, they weren't like prisons today, so if you didn't have any friends, you didn't get food, you didn't get water, you get medical attention, so a lot of people died in prison. And so uh, half part of the believers went to prison, the other half had this decision to make. Do we go give our friends food, water, medical attention. Now that's risky business if the reason why your friends are imprisoned is because you're a Christian. Because if you go there and you have sympathy, you identify yourself as being a Christian. 
So they thought to themselves, what are we going to do? Are we going to put our livelihood at risk? Are we going to put our homes at risk? Are we going to put our children at risk? And so they thought about it. They prayed about it. And I'm sure someone in the middle of that quoted Psalm 63, 3, which says, the steadfast love of the Lord is better in life. Uh, this life is temporary. The kingdom is eternal. Let's go. And that's exactly what they did. It says in verse 34, they sympathized, which means they went to them and their property, their homes, their, uh, their chariots, their mules, their carpentry tool, their, their furniture, whatever was set on fire or just ransacked with people with big knives. And as their stuff was being thrown out in the middle of the street, destroyed, they looked over their shoulder. And what does it say? It says, they rejoice and accepted the plundering of their property because they knew they had a better possession and an abiding one. And when that picture of this New Testament community, like, I first heard that, I mean, it gri- I mean this, tw- this smug, prideful, self-centered, 22-year-old kid wept. I was like, I don't, I want to be like this. I want to feel like this. I want to care. There's no one in my life that I care like that. What, what is it about this group of people that propelled them to love and care for people like that? I want to be. And this was a commissioning moment for me. I had no idea the implications that would become on my life because of that. Uh, but I knew that I wanted to be a part of a community like that. And it burned deep inside of me. I mean, I'm mindful of the prophet Jeremiah who said, it was in within my heart a burning fire shut up in my bones and I am weary of holding it in and I cannot and I had to do something about it. So I went to this mentor of mine at the time, Rick Hine, who's an elder out in the Washington location. said, okay, I got to be a part of this. He's like, what are you talking about? I, I want to be, a, I want in on this. I want, I want to be a part of this community. I'll do whatever I need to do. You know, I'll clean toilets. He said, okay, let's do that. I'm like, what? He's like, we'll clean toilets. I was, like, I was metaphorically speaking, like not <laughs> really. No, so we, so I clean toilets and I was like, I want to be a part of this. And, and, and look at, you know, people, and I don't know what your picture of me is. I don't, and, but people see, you know, it's the church has moved from there and, and I've been leading for a while and, um, you know, the church is certain size and all that. And they, so people see me as a pastor, you know, once a pastor, always a pastor. Like this is, I was a stockbroker uh, for, for six years, never had in my mind that I'd even go to a church, much less lead a church. And so people ask me, like, hey, when did you get your calling? Like, when were you called to be a, a, a pastor, like it was a profession or something? And I'm, I'm always, I'm, I'm not sure when I got my calling, but I know when I got my caring. And what I know about being a part of the people of God, this is what I know, what he wants to do with everybody in this room and anyone who would claim the name of Christ, is he wants to take the things that he is passionate about and he wants to take those things and he wants to brand them on your heart to where you are passionate about them and what he cares about, you care about to the point that you're willing to let go of things. You're willing to let go of possessions. You're willing to let go of your time. You're willing to let go of your dreams. You're willing to let go of your life and follow him and do such radical things, such radical sacrifices and do what the Bible calls good works that the community around sees those good works collectively in the embodied in the local church. It's just amazing. I don't know if I like what they believe, but wow, look at what they're doing. 
So what I want to do is I want to take this next three weeks and talk to us about the call to care. The call to care. And there are three groups of people that uh, Jesus calls us to care about that quite honestly have been a struggle for me personally uh, to care about. But the vision... And the clarity biblically is so overwhelming that I want to keep pressing in. And I want to invite you along in with me to encourage you to press in together. And here is um, a call to care. Here are some people that God, I believe, wants us to care deeply about. That we sacrifice for. One another. We care about the church. We care about each other. I believe he wants me to care about people not like me. He wants you to care about people not like you. And the good news is whoever you are, there's someone not like you. So this applies to all of us. So not someone like me, but someone like you. And finally, the marginalized and the oppressed. The Bible comes over and over. Jesus comes back over and over and says, I don't want you just to like think these are good things to do and care. I want you to care deeply about these. I want you to live a life motivated to give yourself to these groups. So today we're going to talk about the, the calling to care for one another. Um, <clears throat> when someone joins, when someone becomes a Christian, they don't join a new religion. They join a new family. And God is their father. And broadly speaking, the moment you become a Christian... You get connected to a global family called the Big C Church. So you're, you're part of a family that spans the globe, made up of all different kinds of people groups. But not just those people presently, but those people in the past. And if you, I mean, it's a, it, is a, it is a huge, timeless family that you, that you become a part of, that we will live together with forever and ever and ever in a place called heaven, but our experience of this family here now on earth is in the context of specific communities called local churches, like Jubilee, like The Journey, like Kirkwood Baptist, like Twin Oaks Presbyterian, specific communities. And God's design is that local churches aren't simply places that we attend. In fact, they're not to be places that we simply attend, but they are to be families that we become a part of. And the good news is there are oodles of verses that show us how we can be a part of the church, but hardly anything. In fact, there is nothing that says simply attend the church. So the vision of the local church is a place where people care. If it's it's anything, it's a place where people care deeply for one another. And this is a romantic idea that um, gets celebrated a lot, but it's difficult. Um, and one of the, Jesus points how difficult this is in comparing and contrasting in John 10 uh, two different types of Christians, two different types of, of church members. One is the shepherd, that's the, it's the preferred choice, and then the second one is the hired hand, which is not the preferred choice. And this is what, let me, let me read this to you. <clears throat> Jesus says this, he says, I am the good shepherd. So the good shepherd is who? Jesus. And as Christians, if you're here and you're a Christian, who is it that you most want to be like? Jesus, right. So, if Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, who do we want to be like? Who is the good shepherd? So we want to be like the good shepherd. A little logic there. You got it. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
So if we want to be like Jesus, which means we want to be like Jesus, we're going to do what? Lay down our lives for the sheep. You and I are the sheep. He who is the hired hand. Don't want to be the hired hand. And not the shepherd. So this is contrasting here. Who does not own the sheep. That word own is a, is, a, is a really good word, right? So when I was in college and I lived in apartments, I didn't, I didn't own those places. And so uh, I rented those places. And, and when something broke, I didn't care. You know why? Because I didn't own it. I was, I was going to, I'd probably be gone when, when you know, my lease is up, when the year's up. And if the owner gave me trouble, I'd just go somewhere else. Now, I, I own my home now. And when something breaks, um, I take care of it. You know, if the, you know, we had uh, the water heater went out um, a few months ago, or a year ago, something like that. And uh, last winter, not this winter, last winter. And um, it wasn't like, oh, you know, somebody else will fix that. I needed to fix that. And with my kids, it's like, you know, I'm just like, you know, don't touch that. Don't break that. Don't move that. Don't run through this. Do, 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 do. You know, because I own. So I care. Um, there's a difference between owning the church and renting the church. You can rent the church. You can rent your affection for each other. And if, you know, if it, if it, if it goes bad, you know, you just go somewhere else. See, because the hired hand who's not the shepherd, boo who does not own the sheep, boo, sees the wolf coming, sees trouble coming, and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. You think there might be a few scattered sheep in America today? He flees because he is the hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. You and I are supposed to care for the sheep. And that plays itself out in ownership. Like, the the way that we care for the sheep, the way we love one another, is we own each other's lives like they were our own. Which sounds a lot like Jesus. He said something like that, didn't he? Love other people as you love yourself. Sounds a lot like that. What does that look like? Well... There's this beautiful picture I want to take you to in, in, in Romans 12, if you would turn there. talks about what this genuine love looks like. Because we're meant to be those who care for each other. Um, sin wants to separate us in every sense of the word. Wants us to feel not responsible for each other. In fact, you know, we all know that or if you, if, if you don't know, in Genesis 1 and 2, you know, God created the world and made everything perfect. Sin entered the world in Genesis 3, messed everything up. And we get the, a picture of the first human family in Genesis 4. And, we, and Cain, uh, his, his, his sin-saturated heart, um, God comes and says, hey, what about your brother Abel? And his response was, Am I my brother's keeper? What's my brother have to do with me? And the implied shout from heaven is, he has everything to do with you. 
sin, wants, that sin in you wants to separate you from me and me from you and all of us together. Makes it, wants, us to, wants you and I to be detached. And what concerns you, is, you know, that's your issue. I got my own issues to deal with. Not so in the body of Christ. So Romans 12, what does genuine love look like? Well, it starts off so helpfully. It says, let love be genuine. And this is a positive way to express this. In the Greek, the, the, the other translations that you may have, I think the New American Standard Bible says, let love be without hypocrisy, or maybe that in the NIV. Let love be without hypocrisy. And that Greek word for hypocrisy was a theatrical word, which meant to wear the mask. So actors back then in a theatrical play would have these, you know, these little half masks that they would hold in front of them to pretend to be someone that they're not. And what Paul is impressing upon us for love to be genuine, a way for us to care for deeply, one of the things that it has to be is that we cannot be those who pretend to be somebody that we're not. The church cannot be filled with men and women who understand the externals of what a changed heart looks like and we pretend to be those people and we ignore what we're really like. So all could be wrong with our marriage, but we pretend that it's not. You know, we, we're, all is going terrible in our life, but we're fine. Hey, how you doing? I'm fine. How's your marriage? Oh, it's great. Just don't ask my wife. Um, Paul's saying the church cannot afford, cannot afford to pretend, cannot to afford to pretend to be someone else. But we have to be those who are transparent and vulnerable about our, what, our struggles. That we, we do hurt and we do have problems. And I do think bad things sometimes. Yeah, maybe I do have a little pride in the tank. And so we'll, we'll be quick to admit that, but not only quick to admit that, but we'll want to draw people close into us because sin is insidious. It finds dark places and corners to hide. We'll find people around, around us to, to speak into our life. You know how free it is to live with that kind of a clean conscience and transparency? When you can be honest about where you're at and not have people judge you that actually want you to be better, for them to know your struggles and weaknesses. If you never let people know who you are, like really who you are, where you struggle, it, you can write this down. It will be impossible for you to ever receive love. Because any affection that someone shows you, consciously or subconsciously, you'll think they just love to pretend me. They just love that projection that I put out. But if they actually got to know the real me, they wouldn't, love, they wouldn't really love me. And if you live that way, and some of you may have lived that way for a really long time, you, just, you, just, you have to keep, put, you gotta keep pretending, keep pretending, keep pretending. And that may be why you find it difficult to have deep and lasting relationships. And that may be why you bounce from church to church, from place to place. Because you can never re really let people know who you are. You always want to keep people at arm's length. Pretending builds walls. 
Being genuine builds bridges. And then we'll do the next verse, which is abhor to what is evil, cling to what is good. That word abhor means to have a strong hatred for. So we're not just those, yeah, I'm terrible and like, you know, I'm a terrible person. I do everything wrong and then like have no desire to do anything about it. But we're those who are honest with ourselves and we're honest with other people. and We allow them to be honest with us because... Because what we want to do for each other is that we want to, I want to hate what's evil. I want to cling to what's good, which means that I don't hate the person. I, I love the person, but I, but I hate the evil that's in me, and I hate the evil that's in, other, in, that's in you. I want to get that out of your life because it's hurting you, and it's destructing you. The most cowardly, um, empty, shallow kind of love, if it's even love, is the man or woman who sees a brother or sister in Christ struggling with sin, living with sin, walking with sin, and says nothing to him, says nothing to her, does not confront, does not get involved when you know they're headed down a destructive path. If you think about the people who are closest to you, if you have people who are, that, who are close to you, maybe a brother, a sister, a, a, a child, or a parent that you care deeply for, if anything happens in their life that you see as potentially destructive, that's something that concerns you. So if you have a child who is exhibiting destructive behavior at school, that concerns you. Maybe if you have a spouse, you're talking about that at night. How do we, what do we do with Jimmy? How do we handle this? Maybe it keeps you up at night. Maybe you, you give yourself to prayer for Jimmy. You talk to, you try to figure out, and then you then you confront, then you talk to them. What's going on? How can I help? What, what's going? Or you, this needs to stop. Or maybe a, a sister or a parent is handling money in a way that's destructive, and it concerns you, and you say something. And I've, I've used this analogy before, like when our kids were young, and like you know, if like little Josie went underneath the sink and grabbed the Drano and started chewing on the cap. We're not like, we're not, hey, you know, I hope that works out for you. Like, you know, like, it's not really my place to say anything, so I'll just like stand back and like hope everything works out. No, 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 that's not what we do. We go, no, no, you just, this is not good. We hide it, we put it, what you don't do, this is bad. She runs out in the street, we go, you don't run out in the street. And we, to love is to get in her way and actually actually get her, keep her from going in another direction. Now, that's difficult on a good day, but it is impossible. It is impossible to do that if we don't have close relationships in this church. If you're sitting next to someone you've, you've known for four weeks, and they said, hey, Bill, um, I've seen some pride in your marriage, they'd probably punch you in the face. And so... They're not going to, because when we, when we receive correction like that, we go one of two ways. We either go like, oh, I'm such a loser, I'm terrible, you're right. Or we get this kind of defensive, prideful response, defensive response, which is more like, oh, I'm surprised you noticed my speck. Um, you know, with that log coming out of your big fat head, like I'm surprised that you could even see it. And so what we do when someone, we try to discredit the person telling us so we don't have to own our struggle, it's a destructive game and it doesn't work, but we play it anyway. We, 
We need to be genuine. But great things can happen if we've got relationship. And so we build the church around relationships. We don't build our church around different programs in the church, but we want to build them around relationships. That's why community groups are huge. Huge. We have to, they're not the ending place of relationships. Because you can go to a community group and not engage and not really get to know anyone. But it is the starting place. In fact, if you would just grab out that card that was mentioned during the announcement, if you just grab out that card, and if you're not in a community group, community groups are kicking back up, just mark, I want to check out a community group, and someone will help find a few different ones that you can check out. And you can go see that perhaps um, this is a place where I can get to know. Because if you don't have this in your life, if you're not actually growing deeper Um, in this way. If you're not seeking out relationships, close relationships, you'll have a difficult time. And then then it gets, it shows this even more in a more deep way because it says love one another with brotherly affection. Love one another with like Philadelphia love, this love of family, this idea that we are family. Like the church is not a Christian club. It's a Christian, uh, it's it's a family. And it means that we have this unconditional commitment to each other. If you think about your uh, natural siblings, you may not have anything in common with them. No recreational interest. And you may get in lots of fights of disagreements and arguments over the years. In fact, if they were not your family, you would never, ever want to see them. You wouldn't naturally want to hang out with them. But you're a family, so you feel this bond of love and almost obligation toward them. And it's right that you do. Uh, these are people that you didn't choose to be your family but you feel a bond toward them. Your brothers and sisters are your brothers and sisters, not because of your choice, but because of your parents' choice. In a moment of passion, you became a brother and sister of someone else. In a moment of passion for Jesus on the cross, you were born into his family. And you became a brother and sister of other people in this room. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You may have Googled us, but you did not choose Jubilee. (laughs) Is what that verse is saying. So we should feel this obligation toward each other. It's right. He says, blood is thicker than water. What blood is thicker than the blood of Jesus that brought us together? I'm glad you said amen to that. I would have worried about you. Um, so we, we have this fellowship. We have this oneness because we are family. We're brothers and sisters. So there's unconditional commitment to each other. There's also this radical intimacy. I grew up uh, with five brothers and sisters. So I didn't even know that the word personal space existed in the dictionary. All right. I didn't even know. What, I had no concept of what that is. Every moment is, is laid bare. And so when you have brothers and sisters um, you know, you wipe your, your sibling's nose or their bottom or they wiped yours or at least you're, you saw those things being wiped. And so when you, everything is out there in the open, there is, you can't put up fronts. They know who you are. They know what you look like, you know, with your makeup off if, if you wear makeup. And so um, you're, they know you're not perfect. They, you know that they're not perfect. So there's transparency and intimacy. And again, the church is a community, not a club. In a club, you just rally around one point of interest. And so many people see the church as a club, like it's just, it's, it's where the religious stuff happens. You know, the church is a, reli- is a vendor of religious goods and services. And so I just choose, you know, the one that I, seems to suit me the best. 
and my point of contact is over, you know, religious churchy stuff. But that's a club. You know, it's like if you joined a, a bird watching club, which I know many of you do. Um, and uh, you have to check out uh, Jordan Dillon's video of a hawk catching a squirrel. It is a phenomenal, like, National Geographic has nothing on Jordan. And so we, it was a pretty cool thing. Um, bird watching. So if you're bird watching, though, with some, you're, you're, you're there in this club because you want to watch birds. It's the only reason why you're there. You're not there for any other reason. Well, if you're at this bird watching club and all of a sudden, you know, the person next to you is like, you know, I don't know why you're dating him. He's no good for you. You're like, excuse me, we're here to watch birds. Don't talk about my personal life. But in a, in a community, in a church, in a family, like you're, you're connected to all points of life. It's not around a common interest. In fact, we'll learn this even more so next week that we are united by a common bond that is Christ that's, that surpasses everything, which is why, it's why there should be massive unity in the church. Um, but when you, when you, there's so this radical intimacy because you're not a part of a club, you're part of a family. So if you're here and like, you know, you're just, you're just here to like hear teaching and participate in worship even, but you don't, uh, you don't give up your privacy, you don't give up accountability, uh, you're not a part of a Christian community, you're part of a Christian club. And Paul's saying the church cannot afford to do that. A church has to be a place where we care deeply for each other, where there is brotherly affection where there is this family all points of life to connect we may not have anything secondary in common but we share christ in a common goal and a common vision and so that we come together as family and then it says that we outdo one another we outdo one another in showing honor we outdo one another in showing honor let me explain to you attention that myself and the other leaders and elders have when it comes to serving, because this is what it's talking about. It's talking about giving yourself in a life of service. There are a lot of needs that need to be filled and a lot of jobs that need to be completed. And, and for the church to work, they just have to be done. And you guys are really nice people. I, I can see that. And like you, you want to do good things with your life. And so if you're a good person, um, you're easily, you could be easily guilted into doing stuff. Now, if you're not a nice person, maybe not. But if, I think you're nice people. So you probably could be guilted. If I showed you enough sad pictures, if I, if I explained the need well enough, if I really pressed into that and got, you know, I, could, I bet you I could guilt you into doing more than you're doing. But the problem with that, the problem with that is that it just doesn't, it doesn't last very long. So maybe, so maybe you're like, okay, Brian put the screws to me today. And so, yeah, okay, you know, I feel like a bump on the log. I'll do something. Give me that card. I'll do you know, the, you know, you know I'll, I'll go to the nursery. I mean, how hard, hard could it be to watch babies? I mean, seriously, how could I? So you check the box. Except when you go, the, the time by the wheels turn and you get into your, your session to, to be with those precious, what you thought were precious little babies, somehow like the other person or like, you know, there were supposed to be three people, but only two people showed up and like all the babies like synchronize their watch to poop and scream at the same time. And so like... And then you weren't really paying attention when they talked about the emergency measures of communication with parents when something goes wrong. So you're, you're frazzled. So you walk away from that serving opportunity frustrated, not only at serving, but you vowed to, before God and other people that you will never have kids of your own. And so, 
But the only problem with that is that you're on the schedule ne- next month. And so you, and then you, then when that Saturday, that Sunday rolls around, you're like, well, I'm feeling a little bit sick. You know, I, I'm okay to be here on Sunday, but I don't think I should really be around kids anymore. And so this initial, like, I got to do something because I feel bad quickly wears off. But what if, what if your motivation was to outdo the other person in honor? That you didn't shy away f- from serving opportunities because they were difficult, but actually you signed up for serving opportunities because they are the most difficult. Because you want to outdo. You see, you, you remember the, the person we're supposed to be like? Remember his name? Jesus, the good shepherd, the one who lays down his life. He, the good shepherd, he also said in Mark 10, 45, he says, I have not come to be served. I have not come to set up this me kingdom. I have not come to be served. I have come to serve you and give my life as a ransom. Here's what he's saying to you and I. He says, this relationship you and I have, you're not going to serve me as much as I'm going to serve you. And you will never, ever, ever outserve me. I win, Jesus says. I will outdo you in honor. And when you get the spirit of Christ in you, you know, like Paul says in Galatians 2, it's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. And you get the spirit of Christ in you, you're going to begin to look around at your brothers and sisters and you says, you are not here to serve me. I am here to serve you. And I am going to outdo you in honor. You're going to show up early, I'm going to show up earlier. You're going to hold the door for me, I'm going to hold the door open for you first. You're going to take the tough job. I'm going to take the tougher job. I'm going to outdo you in honor. And there, and there are people. I mean, I could, I'd love to just talk about the person after person after person after person after person who exemplifies this. Um, man, I, I, I'm continually impressed just with the Merkels. If you don't know them, they serve and they serve and um, they don't need thanks. They just serve because they want to bless other people. They'll pick up trash. They'll do whatever to serve people. Um, the Vidovas, they're community group leaders. And uh, they... There you go. Um they give, it's, this is not in the job description that we give community group leaders, but they give rides. They got a family of their own. They go show up early to give rides to people to the group and they take them home and they go home late and they never complain. They take their community group members to doctor appointments and different stuff. Why? Because someone guilted them to do it? No. They're just looking to outdo their group in honor and serving them. There's a guy uh, down at the Lake Church, Joseph Seward. He's a single dad. And he runs the sound, which means you have to show up early. Uh, it's difficult enough for, for some of us just to show up on time when we, when we just have ourselves. For those of us who are parents, it's really difficult to wrangle your kids together to get on time. If you are a single parent, that's triply hard. But if you're a single parent who's coming in early to serve, 
That's quadruply difficult. And he does it every week. What if instead of avoiding the jobs that were tough, what if you pursued the jobs of tough that are tough? Not because somebody guilted into you, just because you want to be like your good shepherd. Just because you want to own. You don't want you want to run away from the example of the hired hand and you want to run toward the example of the good shepherd and you want to own, you want to lay down and you want to outdo. It takes the spirit of Christ that's there. Maybe you want to check on this card. You say, you know what? I want to check out a volunteer opportunity. You don't have to sign up for life. Just try it out. Check it out. And then it says, which is closely connected, it says, do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in the spirit, serve the Lord. So it's this idea that delight and passion matter, not just duty, which we've been talking about. I want to expand upon it. So it's, we need to stay in God's love. We need to remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. We need to be fervent in the spirit. We need to be continually having the spirit of Christ fill us up. Otherwise, we'll, we may serve, we may do it like, why am I doing this again? This really stinks. I don't like it. It's hard. I would rather do something else. On our own, that's where we drift. If we stay fervent in the Lord, we stay passionate in the Spirit, we'll do it with delight and not do it. We'll be constant in prayer. You know, Jesus in Matthew 9, 36, you know, he looked at the crowds and he saw them as hurting and helpless, shepherdless, like sheep without a shepherd. And it caused him to say, pray, 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 pray to the Lord of the harvest. So as, as we begin to care for each other, and then we'll talk about this more the next week and the week after, about people outside of our circle, not just but people outside of our circle, that we need, we, we're constant in prayer. And then we contribute to the needs of the saints. You know, when you're family, you share possessions. You, just, you share space. You share inheritance. You share a home. You share, it's, it's just the, the line between what's yours and what's theirs is a little blurry. It should be that way in the church that we're ready willing and able to serve each other in the way and the capacity to which God has called us to be. And so part of that means um, giving to the collective needs of this church. So that every week we, we, have, we receive an, an offering and that goes to the needs of this church as a whole, the mission as a whole. But it's also leaving margin in your life just to be a blessing when there's an opportunity to be a blessing. And there's story after story after story of, of men and women who've spotted a need and just filled the need. Um, just heard of a young man at the washing location who uh, was a single mom who had some needs and he gave a bunch of gift cards, well over a couple hundred bucks, just to help her. Um, heard of a story the other day, something like 500 bucks just to help this woman in need. Cars have been given away. People just spotting needs and giving money away. So what does that mean for us? How, do we, how can we care for each other that way? Well, one is to um, put margin in our financial world to give regularly to the collective needs of the church and to leave margin in your budget to, to spot needs that maybe don't get spot this way, but just you, they're in your community group or you, you see that. And, you, and that's happening all around you. And if you've not jumped in on that, you can do that too. Like you can be, you can participate in carrying this way. And then finally it says show hospitality. Seek to show hospitality. So we have this intense love for one another, but he's, 
You know, Paul said, hey, don't forget about the one who's on the outside. Don't get, don't get introverted on yourself. Don't get inward on yourself. But remember about the outside. Remember about the one who's peeking over the fence, who's trying to be a part of who you're... Always leave space. Always leave space in your life to make strangers friends and friends family. To make outsiders insiders. That's what Jesus did for us. He was a cosmic insider. And he, he left the comfort of heaven and the security of, the, of, of heaven to earth to, to, to become one of us, to show us cosmic. He came out to us and brought us inside into the family of God and made us one of his. And we are to be the same. We are to be the same. So how do we live like this? Because this is a lofty, you know, big vision, caring deeply, sacrifice, time, money. And, you know, it's, it sounds great here, but it starts to wear off like in two hours, trust me. And so the only way that this is, can be a sustaining thing in our life is that we grab a hold of what this early community grabbed a hold of in Hebrews 10. It said that... Um, that they were able to joyfully accept the plundering of their property since they knew that they had a better possession and an abiding one. We feel this need to grab the most out of this life when we lose sight of the life to come and we get our eyes off Jesus. When we don't see him as our treasure and we think like, oh, I've got to get treasures here on earth. I've got to make the most of this life. We'll grab for ourselves. We'll grab time for ourselves. We'll grab money for ourselves. We'll grab comfort for ourselves. We'll, we'll, we'll just, we'll, it's, just, it's, it's, just a, it's the way our sin works. It's a way, it just not, we just curve in in ourselves. If we keep our eyes fixed on the one, and he becomes our possession. He's the, he's the one we want. He's the one that we want to be like. He's the better possession. He's the eternal possession. This stuff is just going to, it's just all going to, you know, clothes, homes, cars, Vacations, they're just here today and gone tomorrow, but he's forever. And, and I can keep my eyes fixed on him, and that will cause me with a smile. I can joyfully accept the plundering of my property, the abuse of my time, and pain in my body, because I've got something better I'm grabbing a hold of, which is Christ.